Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 218. Thanks so much for joining me. We in our in our uh, secondary office in the Woodlands, Texas. Uh, today's guest is Jamaica Baldwin. She'll be here in about 10 minutes. But before we begin, I should say that Rattle's a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995, and we're unaffiliated with any other organization. Uh, we just do this because we love poetry, and I know you do too, so please do click the like button and share. Make sure you're subscribed, ring the bell for notifications, or whatever you can do to help spread poetry around the internet and on, you know, audio and podcasts and anything. Leave a review on iTunes. Anything you can do really helps out a lot to get this poetry out there, which is always what we're trying to do. Um, let's see. Someone watching on YouTube, please let me know that you can hear me, because it says that the audio is not working. Everything good here. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it just said uh, the audio bit rate is zero, which makes no sense. Uh, so, but I don't know. But if you can hear me, I didn't want to talk into silence for uh, for three hours <laughs> without knowing. Okay. So as I was saying, uh, the Rattle, uh, Rattlecast is coming up. Jamaica Baldwin is here. We always like to start out with our uh, prompt poems, though. We have two prompt poems this week. It's such a such a powerful week for poetry. There was so many. Uh, I think we had about 250 submissions and some beautiful uh, poems coming in. We had... Uh, these two, though, that we'd like to share. Neither of the poets this week could be here for various reasons. Um, I do can let you know Bob Hickok, Sunday's poet. Um, he was originally scheduled for September, um, had to cancel, but he's going to be on uh, December, I believe it is 7th or whatever, whichever Monday that is. So Bob Hickok will be back here about a month from now. But uh, he had this beautiful poem, This Again, uh, really powerful, important for the moment. Um, and as Bob tends to do, he said, um, I'll show this on screen for you right now. Uh, here we go. But Bob said, um, don't know what to say about this other than what the poem does. And the, the, the story is uh, explained in the poem itself. So I'll just read it and uh, we won't show you the link either. But here we go. This is Bob Hickok's poem from Sunday at Rattle.com, This Again. The recommendation from some website quoted on the news is to rape, cut the throats of, and throw female Jews off a cliff. But how far are the cliffs of Ithaca from Cornell? Where the raping and throat slashing is supposed to occur? And if you don't have a car, are you supposed to borrow one, or can you Uber a body to a cliff and ask the driver to wait while you chuck it off? And what if you're afraid of heights? It's time we address the shocking lack of detail in anti-Semitism. It's one thing to hate Jews, but another to ask me to hate Jews without telling me how to hate Jews or why I should hate anyone when loving everyone is an option. A difficult one, I admit. Impossible even, but in a process sense. It requires no knives or cars or evil and can be conveyed in a simple phrase. See someone, love someone. Or love thy neighbor as thou loves apple pie. Or love thy stranger as thou loves straight for touching us without starlight for touching us without knowing our names. Have you ever felt as brittle as kindling shattering to pieces just under the shower curtain of your skin? It's a rhetorical question because I know you have and will, as I have and do right now. So screw every cult of hate, every bullet and knife and bomb and shitty things said under the breath or with the full conviction of the lungs. If you see a Jew, be a Jew. If you see a Muslim, be a Muslim. If you see a human, be a human. The lend an ear or a hand kind. The how's it going kind. The kind kind. No one chooses who or where or when to be. We just sort of collectively are. So hating you for being you makes no more sense than you hating me for being me. 
And I don't want to be raped or have my throat slashed or get thrown off a cliff, hard as that is to believe. I want to see the cliffs of Ithaca in moonlight, the Cobb in Mecca, circled by a crowd pulsing with faith, the ice hotel in a snowstorm. I want a really good pizza with an egg on it, to kiss my wife on top of the Eiffel Tower, all the parts of her that are Jewish and all the parts that are human and all the parts that make her sigh and moan. Being human means understanding that being human is the hardest thing you'll ever do. That we're all partisans in this struggle, fellow teamsters in, the, in not knowing what the hell is going on, brothers and sisters stuffing our befuddlement every morning into pants and dresses we hope don't make us look fat and stupid and lost. Everyone I know feels lost. The trick is to feel something together. Maybe you have a map and I have a canteen. Certainly someone has a pogo stick or a cyclotron. We need food and light and harmonicas and theremins and stories about monsters who decide not to eat the child or stomp the village or fly over the night with death on their wings. Lost together, our nowhere becomes our somewhere. Lost together, the dream of home never dies. So that was Bob Hickok, a Sunday's poet, uh, November 4th, 5th, from uh, Poets Respond. It was his poem, This Again. And we have a second poem, too, a bonus poem coming up on Tuesday. We just had too many poems we wanted to publish um, this is uh, Sneha Madhavan Rees, a Canadian poet. We've published her a couple times before in the past. She, too, in her notes, so I guess this is something that we can all relate to and appreciate, but she says, nothing I can say seems sufficient. I think you can understand and imagine what this poem is about um, right off the top. Uh, there's an epigram that starts. I think she reads it, so I'll just play this, and why don't you give it a listen? This is uh, Sneha Madhavan Rees again. Boundary Conditions. It begins with an epigraph from Sam Sachs's poem, Anti-Zionist Abyssidarian. Who but men blame the angels for the wild exceptionalism of men? Boundary Conditions Along the border of any governed region, there exists a value which must satisfy its laws. This is a rule I learned for solving differential equations. Math seems like it doesn't exist, my newly graduated kindergartner declares. It's just rules that someone made up. She's brilliant beyond her years. On the surface of the ocean exist propagating dynamic disturbances. In other words, waves. In other words, the boundary between air and water, between the requirements for life, between dark and light, wrong and right, between what can be held and what can only be imagined, between dreams and the realities that shatter them, the things that keep us awake at night, at every boundary there are laws, and sometimes these laws make no sense. Of course it's made up, but that doesn't mean it's not real. There is math in the air we breathe, I tell her. People die for made-up reasons every day. There is math in the shuddering earth. Find equations that govern its motion, whether by earthquake or explosion. Try and fail. Try again and fail to solve. Yeah, and once again, that was uh, Sneha, Sneha Matavan Rees with boundary conditions it's going to be the uh, tuesday poem on rattle.com so do check that out 
And um, I should say, too, the open lines are coming up at the uh, second half of the show, about an hour from now. Um, they are switching. We're rebranding to the prompt lines. So instead of uh, completely open, anything you want to share, um, feel free to share anything that makes sense uh, along with this week's prompt. This week's prompt was to write a poem that features a shadow. Um, and we have a new email address, too. It's promptlines at rattle.com. So email your poem there. But we'll talk about that more later, just so you know uh, it's going to change up a little bit. Uh, but we're really looking forward to it. The prompt lines have been so fun um, as part of the open lines, and it's going to be a lot more fun, too, staying on topic and having the kind of cohesion that we've had lately. So looking forward to that. And we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with our main guest tonight, Jamaica Baldwin. So sit tight, and I'll be right back. And we're back. Thanks for your patience. Like I said, tonight's guest is Jamaica Baldwin. Jamaica's a poet and educator originally from Santa Cruz, California. Her first book, Bone Language, was just published by Yes, Yes Books this summer. Her accolades include a 2023 Pushcart Prize, the National uh, Endowment for the Arts Fellowship, a Rhino Poetry Editor's Prize, the Glenna Lucy Prairie Schooner Award, as well as the San Miguel de Allende Writers Conference Contest Poetry Award. She's also served as a community-based teaching artist with writers in the schools, Seattle, Louder Than a Bomb, Great Plains, and affiliate of the Nebraska Writers Collective, and taught generative writing workshops for women in Guatemala. Jamaica has a PhD from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln in English with a focus on poetry and women's and gender studies, and she is currently an assistant professor in the Department of Writing at Ithaca College in New York, close to where I grew up. Uh, here she is, Jamaica Baldwin. Hi, Jamaica. How are you doing? Hi Tim, I'm well. Thank you for yeah. um, thank you for having me. It's so great to have you. That that poem, um, you know, we published a poem of yours in Poetry Spawn. Speaking of which, that was just okay. such a powerful one of the most popular poems um, in Poetry Spawn history. With like two thousand shares oh, wow. on social media, it was a really wonderful one at a really at a time where people were really needed poetry. I'm kind of like right yeah. now, but but in, in some ways even more so. It was a very you know time that was loaded with poetry. Um, mm -hmm. So it's really great to meet you, and congratulations on this new book. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, do you want to start out with a poem? Uh, I think uh, Father Weaver is the first poem you had up. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Father Weaver. If he wasn't janitor, he'd be gravel artist. He'd be glitter farmer. He'd groove skate down Beach Hill to Isley Brothers. If he wasn't janitor, he'd be tennis racketeer, ocean tamer, cicada sequencer. He'd turn his knit cap upside down to catch fireflies, load them into pitching machine, point upwards and shoot stars into sky. If he hadn't been liquor undertaker, booze regulator, drunk gambling wish denier, he might have been daughter wrangler, fear whisperer, sweet lullaby impersonator, his underwater voice might have sung me to float and swell. If he hadn't been vodka foreman, he might have used strands of daughter hair to draw maps of blackness onto his back. I might have watched them stretch and curve and maze him into father quest, into secret daughter mission. I'd pack a flashlight and meals for the trip. I'd stretch and nimble get. I'd compass take whistle and song and song i'd path follow and lost get and a round turn a round turn till i center reach and undead him 
Yeah, that was Father Weaver by Jamaica Baldwin from her book Bone Language. A beautiful poem there. I love the way it turns at the end. Um, thanks so much for sharing that. So, so I always like to ask poets to start, like, why, how they got into poetry. What was it that, that made you fall in love with language? And, and, and how old were you when, when you did? And, and what was your journey like into poetry? That is a good question. Um, I am a late bloomer, I guess. Um, you should, I could say, um, I started with fiction, actually. I started writing fiction about, oh, I don't know, 2009, 10, something like that. And then a few years later, um, after uh, my breast cancer diagnosis, I stumbled into poetry. Mm. Um, so my mother was a writer and I was raised around a lot of literature, um, but it wasn't anything that I ever saw myself doing. I was more, um, I was more attracted to the, to the performing arts. So, you know, music and film were my first loves. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, uh, I carried it with me, you know, through her, through osmosis, just having all of that literature around. Um, and yeah, so I was, a, I was a bit, I was a bit later. I haven't been writing poetry all that long. Do you you were actually, you published my very first poem. That was it. Oh, I love it when that happens. It's always fun to, <laughs> to <laughs> yeah, you know, see, yeah. you know, a poem appear and then, and then watch the, the poet blossom. Um, it happens yeah. so often. And it's really cool to see. So do you remember mm -hmm. the first poem that you wrote? That sort of meant something to you that I, I you know there's always this moment to me where yeah. you know a poem like surprises you and, and you sort of realize you're accessing something deeper in the process of writing maybe did you have an experience mm -hmm. like that was there something that was like your first sort of spark poem um yeah i remember the time i remember you know where i was living what i was going through um what i was feeling and i remember reading a poem that i had written recently and well, A, being surprised that it was a poem, you know, and then B, uh, being excited at some of the imagery and the connections I was making, and more importantly, what those images were revealing about, you know, what yeah. I was going through at the time. Um, and I think in terms of my book, I think the oldest poem in the book that I may not have written it at that time, but it was not that long after, is Cell Revolt, um, which is deeply about the body and sort of the rupture that I was feeling at that time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. How did the, the breast cancer diagnosis play into that? I mean, was it a kind of, um, I don't know, a feeling of needing mm -hmm. to, to make an imprint maybe on the world? Or what was it that do you think that, what's that connection? I don't really think I was thinking about the world mm -hmm. at all um, at that time. I mean, outside of wanting to stay in it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, I don't, it wasn't so much about sharing the poems that I was writing. It was, I was, you know, taking classes at the Center for Fiction in New York, and I was deeply entrenched in that, that world. And I was dabbling with playwriting. And, and then after my diagnosis, I, uh, people were giving me poetry, you know, um, cause I was just searching for some thing, some meaning, some, uh, you know, I think it kind of became a form of prayer for me. You know, mm -hmm. I wasn't, I'm not, I don't have a history with religion, but I think in that moment, I just was needing something that was uh, more contained, more simple than a, than a, not simple in what it's doing, but just simple in 
what it is as an artifact to um, to engage with and speak to me. And so I had some friends who gave me some books of poems and I just started writing. Um, and I think there's something about the poem's ability to contain so much of a world and so much feeling in such a small space and and kind of releasing the the stress of plot and really being able to focus on emotion and feeling that I was just really attracted to and really needing in that in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, and I at the time I wasn't thinking about what I'm going to do with these poems, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just writing yeah. writing for their own sake, I imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, well, let's hear another one from the book. Uh, let Let's go. Uh, the end of sorrow is not happiness. Is next up. Sure. The end of sorrow is not happiness. I've gained many things since cancer, poetry, extra weight, a distrust of happiness, the way this country names it a pursuit, a destination most are never meant to reach. No matter how many shovels we break digging, there is always more earth, more history, more heft required to fail. Even if I could make my way through their labyrinth of promises without coming undone, I'm not sure I'd want to give up my sorrows. All my reckless patience wandering through untamed hallways. I've grown accustomed to their defiance, to the melancholy of women unbolting private alienations. I prefer this fracture of a home we built together without borders, without hustle. And the birds pay us no mind here, nor the trees, nor moss. So much endless, brilliant moss. Yeah, and that was a beautiful one. One of my favorite poems in the book. That is, The End of Sorrow is Not Happiness from Bone Language, um, an American sonnet. And it's interesting. I mean, there are a lot of different forms in this book as, as far as the layout of the poems on the page. Um, how much of that is uh, isn't intentional? Like, how did the book you know, come to be, you know, how does a poem come to be structured in the shape that it is? Because it's interesting, we'll see other mm -hmm. poems later that move all over the place across the page. Mm -hmm. And this one is that, that tight, confined space of the American sonnet form, which is, of course, a, you know, 14 lines, um, yeah. but but not, you know, in free verse. So, uh, so right. how do you, how do you think about structure in poems? Thank you. Um, I've, well, you know, what, I've been asked this about this book specifically, and I think, you know, what I find in terms of the poems that use up more of the white space on the page, they often are about uh, elements. They're often either poems about cancer, poems about the body, poems about rupture, um, sometimes rupture when I'm talking about um, race uh, 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 themes. Um, but I think something about that rupture feels like I can't, like it needs that space and feels um, like containing it in a neat, you know, four tercet poem or a neat American sonnet would be uh, just wouldn't fit, wouldn't fit what I feel the poem is doing emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so I think in that way, um, the the kind of more wild uh, uh, spacing reflects that. Um, and I also notice, um, first I noticed it, and then it became intentional later, but I noticed that I feel like I have um, uh, uh, an attraction to 
using, say, the, you know, a couplet when I'm writing intimate poems, especially mm-hmm. when I'm writing about my mother or my father, and it's me and another person that I'm engaging with on the page, um, I tend to write in um, couplet, sometimes tercet, if, especially if I'm going out and opening up into a larger idea from that. Um, yeah, and so I think that's, those those are kind of how I tend to look at the for, at form. But then other times, some of the poems in the book started off as formal poems mm-hmm. or more structured or more, more neat structures. Um, but then in the revision stage, I sort of broke it out of that because it didn't seem to want to be contained contained yeah. Um, in there. Yeah, interesting. You can feel that in the voice, the, the sort of the breaking, mm-hmm. the sort of flying apart into freedom in a lot of the mm-hmm. poems. It's interesting. Um, can you tell us how the how the you know how you settled out on the title uh, "Bone Language"? Um, how did that come? <laughs> yeah, that was a long road. It had many, many, many titles before that. Um, that title, I was actually in a graduate class um, where we were looking at and writing uh, and discussing chapbooks. And so we had all put together um, in my PhD program and we had all put together little chapbooks. And I titled the chapbook, um, I think it was from a line in, in a poem that was in that chapbook. And I said her, it was originally called Her Bone Language. Uh, my friend who read the chapbook Said, why don't we just get rid of her um and then the chapbook ended up many of the poems in the chapbook ended up moving them moving into bone language what what became bone language and so that was just the title title that resonated with me the most and i think that also speaks to um what i'm doing in the book so there's a lot of poems or a number of poems where i'm specifically engaging the language, you know, either, you know, the etymology of words or the silences that surround language or the inability of language to do what we want it to do, um, the violence that often comes from language. um, And then the body is just very um, prevalent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's why it seems like a great title to me. The the, yeah. the sense that the, um, the the bodily nature of language, that sort of deep, mm-hmm. you know, the the deepness of language in the core of our being, kind of as a, mm-hmm. you know, you know, through movement and, and all the things that, that our bones do, um, is a is a, a you know themes that come up a lot in the book yeah. too. So it's a beautiful yeah. book, you know, about the the depths of um, really where language comes from, maybe you yeah. know, and the deeper core of yeah. our being and our history. So it's a, yeah. a great title. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, well, let's hear another poem uh, from the book. Let's do uh, Forbidden. Sure. Yeah. Forbidden. Let me go back to my father in the body of my mother the day he told her, having black children won't save you when the revolution comes. Let me do more than laugh like she did. Let me go back to my mother and do more than roll my eyes when she tells me, I think deep down in a past life, I was a black blues singer. My mother remembers the convent where she worked after I was born, the nuns who played with me while she cleaned. My father remembers the bedroom window of their first apartment, his tired body climbing through. It was best, they agreed, if she signed the lease alone. Scholars conclude the myths of violence that surround the black male body protect the white female from harm. I conclude race was indeed a factor in my parents' attraction. I am the product of their curiosity, their vengeance, their need. They rescued each other from stories scripted onto their bodies. 
They tasted forbidden and devoured each other whole. Let me build a house where their memories diverge. Let me lick clean these bones. Yeah, and that was uh, Forbidden from Bone Language, another great poem by Jamaica Baldwin. And, and Jamaica, you mentioned, uh, you know, coming to poetry relatively recently. I mean, that's only mm-hmm. you know, 12, 13 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. uh, who, uh, I think you went to the Pacific University uh, MFA program too, right? I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is just such a wonderful program full of so many great teachers. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> it really is. I mean, I we've talked about this all the time on the show, but I think of our Rattle Poetry Prize winners. Yeah. We've had, I think we're up to 18 now, and something like seven or six or so are from uh, that program. Mm-hmm. Just so many brilliant poets coming out of there. A lot of it was, you know, some of the great Kwame Dawes and Marvin Bell, just so many great teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, what was uh, your experience like in learning uh, poetry? You know, coming from a fiction angle, mm-hmm. from a performance, performance type, you know, background where you're more interested in that. Um, what is the thing, you know, who shaped you the most as a poet? And, and what is the, the biggest sort of lesson you learned going through all those great teachers in that program? That's a really that's a great question. Um, I think my earliest influence, you know, before I became well-read, um, when I first started writing poetry, it was really, I realized how much of my experience in history with music was benefiting me as a poet. Um, so music is deeply important to me, and I'm always reading my poems and listening to my poems and other people's poems um, for the sound, you know, as as much as of the meaning. And um, in terms of my experience at Pacific, I mean, I can't sing its praises enough, but <laughs> um, I studied with Kwame Dawes and Marvin Bell, the late Marvin Bell. I studied with Dorian Lux and Vivi Francis and... I think, I mean, the the format is uh, the way most of these low residency programs is formatted in that you're, you know, having a a distant relationship with your advisor for five months and sharing these packets that are, that get quite intimate. And um, not only are you sharing poems, uh, but you're also, you know, sharing letters about your process and about your struggles and about your what you learned and what you're excited about and they're responding to you. And I haven't found in all of my education and I've been, you know, community college and uh, um, small liberal arts colleges and big universities, but there's nothing like the level of one-on-one interaction that you get. Um, And there's just something really, I think, I think that program stands out among other programs and I can only speak from what, you know, I've heard because I have only attended one, but um, they're not, they're really focused on the writing mm-hmm. and not necessarily, you know, the theory and um, any scholarship, you know, yes, we write essays, but it's really about how to get us out of our own way to write the best whatever genre we're in that we can, right? Um and craft is is engaged in a more organic uh, form, which I think was really useful for me. Uh, I mean, my first advisor, my first semester, when I was a baby, baby poet was Marvin Bell. And he was just the sweetest, the perfect person for me at that time. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, Abby E. Murray uh, has a great poem in tribute to Marvin Bell. I think that was talking about mm-hmm. him at those workshops. But um, yeah. it's true. It feels yeah. to me like it, it's sort of pure poetry that takes place there. You it know, is. like following yeah. its own, like poetry, you know, for its own sake and pursuit of its own truth, mm-hmm. whatever that happens to be. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be the focus, you know, whatever, what, whatever you know, your truth to speak is. Um, yeah. is yeah. what it seems to come out and flourish in that program. So I just love that. Um, it's one of the few programs I love. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's actually, you have another poem, uh, All That Splendor, um, for Vibe Francis mm-hmm. or after Vibe Francis. Do you want to read that one? Sure. Okay. Uh, All That Splendor after Vibe Francis. I watch them work, spiders with their trapeze swings, spinning worlds so easily broken by the avalanche of my body. This breaking of webs isn't always an accident, no. Sometimes I just want to ruin something perfect to see how quickly it bounces back. Tell me you haven't wanted to tarnish, to dull all that ferocious effort. Tell me you haven't been stretched and left delicate, barely there till every part of you is an entrance. This is what happens when we leave all our splendor out in the open. Slivers of translucent shimmers just begging to be pulled apart. Yeah, that's true. That was all that splendor, uh, again, from Bone Language. Um, what was that after? What? How did uh, Vivi Francis uh, inspire that poem? Um, she has a poem that I fell in love with from her book, um, her second, Forest Primeval, and it's called uh, A Flight of Swiftlets Made Their Way In. And I just spent a lot of time studying that poem. Um, and I this idea of her sort of engaging this deep vulnerability, but also it's sort of this, um, there's an innocence, but also a kind of predatory element in the poem and the balance that she uses in the end, the final image of this, she just repeats the word beating, beating, beating. Um, was It's just stunning. And I recommend that everybody go and read that poem. And so I just was kind of responding to that and wanting to write my own version of that that was sort of about the same topic or engaging the same, the same feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was looking up, uh, you know, trying to find some interviews with you. And, and one of the things I saw is that you um, had a whole bunch of careers before you were writing. And I don't know, it was a, a true that there's a deep sea fishing. <laughs> how was that? Uh, it's, it's interesting to imagine. So, so what, uh, what were you doing before you were doing poetry? <laughs> Every, everything. I mean, I would say the bulk of my jobs were in either uh, sort of like restaurants or retail but I tried everything. I, my aunt was a deep sea fisherman in the nineties oh, wow. and, and, uh, in Seattle. And I lived there when I was about 19 and I saw the life that they were leading, you know, and they would spend, um, the summers out in Alaska, you know, it's very dangerous, <laughs> it's a very dangerous job. And they would make a bunch of money. Uh, and then they would travel the world, uh, the rest of the year. Um, and I was just very, very, uh, inspired by the idea of making, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in a few months. And I asked her about it. And so she hooked me up with a friend who was, had a new boat, a new skipper, but she said, before you go to Alaska, 
I want you to try <laughs> try a little few weeks here in the San Juan Islands. And, and so I did, and um, it was, and I never made it to Alaska. So she was very smart in, <laughs> in making me do that first. It was a great experience. It wasn't all that at all, but um, I knew that I wouldn't be with those people and I might be the only female on a boat and it was months at a time and it was in a very rough season. So um, yeah, it dawned on me that I wasn't quite, <laughs> wasn't quite my cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, well, we yeah. had a... a was it uh peter monroe is a fishery scientist uh, who we, we interviewed mm-hmm. in the scientist poets issue and he does the same thing out in that same area but he mm-hmm. you know pulls up catches and see you know checks out what's there mm-hmm. writes poems you know and his bunk mm-hmm. and then comes back to the mainland after like three months it seems fascinating and and the thing that i love about that you know concept is i've always felt like the process of poetry is almost like deep sea fishing and the way that like you know yeah. like you you sort of feel a tug at the that's line true. you yeah. know and you don't know what's going to mm-hmm. come up and that's sort mm-hmm. of that that thing we're all chasing is that feeling of right. like i feel like i've got something here but i'm not sure what it is and then you mm-hmm. pull it up to see and i always love that as a metaphor for the, the writing process do mm-hmm. you do you feel that way do you feel mm-hmm. surprised by what comes up when you write a poem absolutely and now that you say that, I mean, the kind of fishing that we were doing, you would, you know, the little skiff, somebody would go on this boat and take this big net and make this huge circle. Um, and then we would just wait. And we, mm-hmm. so a lot of it was waiting. Yeah. You, you put out, you put out the effort and you wait until the skipper says, okay, let's bring it in. And then you hope that when you bring it in and you're being rained on by, you know, jellyfish and all kinds mm-hmm. of other stuff that you're going to have. Uh, you know, a big batch of salmon or a score at the end, right? And yeah. I think there's something very similar to poetry in that you're kind of, you put it out there and you don't really know what's going to come. And sometimes you are waiting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, waiting yeah, in I, that empty page. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The empty page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you don't throw it out there, you're really not going to catch anything at all. So yeah. I could go on and on about this metaphor. But, yeah. <laughs> so, so how much, you know, having all those careers, how much has that influenced your poetry? Because, it, you know, there's some advice I've heard from people is, you know, don't go to an MFA program, live life for a while, do a lot of different things, and then start focusing on writing like a little later. So you have some experiences. Do, do you find that to be a truism that you're you benefited from having done you know spent those you know, oh, 10 15 yeah. years doing yeah. other things yeah yeah 100 percent. my mom when i first started writing she said something like you know like she was surprised that the quality of my poetry seeing that i hadn't been writing it before you know and she was you know but maybe i think you've always been an artist your whole life, you just haven't found the art, you know? Yeah. So all of my experiences were informing this moment. Uh, and I, I don't know, part of me thinks that might be true. Part of me thinks it's a little woo-woo. I don't know. But um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't think my education taught me how to write poetry. Mm-hmm. And I, that, that wasn't, you know, why the biggest reason why I made the decision to go to an MFA and then a PhD. Um, uh, I think what it did was it taught me how to, how to have a more discerning eye. It taught me how to read deeply, which then made my poetry better. Right. Um, It taught me, it gave me a community of people that then, 
became my readers and we championed each other. And I think that is crucial as a, as a writer and an artist, but there weren't classes, you know, where we were learning how to write. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's really about community and it's about um, honing, honing the, the skill of being able to see what the thing is. I remember, uh, I've said this before in different interviews, but Kwame, um, uh, in one some poems that I was writing when I had him as an advisor and he would, sometimes he would write on a poem or a line somewhere, um, I don't believe you. Uh, and I, the first time I read that, I was very insulted and took that very hard. What does he mean? I don't understand. I'm not lying. Um, and and then we talked about it, and he said, "It's not that I don't believe what you're writing. It's that I don't believe that you believe what you just said. Yeah. Like I don't believe that that's the truth that you're trying to get at, right? And uh, once I understood what he was saying, telling me." then in, in my revision process, I would ask myself that question. Like, is this, do I believe myself? Is this really the truth that I'm trying to convey? And that has been priceless in, mm -hmm. you know, ever since. Yeah. Yeah. And living a life, you know, tells you what really matters too, you know, and, yeah. you know, starting out yeah. that young, I didn't know what <laughs> mattered when I was 20, yeah. you know? And so, yeah. um, you know, having, you know, live a little bit is such an important thing for, for a writer to do. You mentioned your mm -hmm. mom was a writer. Uh, what, what kind yeah. of writing did she do? And, uh, and what does she think of your work now? How much, how much <laughs> she, involvement does she have in it? Yeah, she, uh, went to, um, and got her master's degree in fiction. I think, she probably would have been a creative nonfiction writer if that was more of a thing in her time and it wasn't. Um, but yeah, she was a fiction writer. So the, the influences that I had around the house were you know, Toni Morrison and um, you know, The Bluest Eye and all that. Um, and James Baldwin was an early, um, an early writer that I fell in love with. Um, but she's my probably my biggest champion. You know, she mm -hmm. reads she reads everything I write, not necessarily before it's published, but sometimes before, sometimes after. And what I'm really grateful for is I have friends who write about their families, and it is not um, they don't have their family's blessing. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a really hard place to be in. And I'm very very grateful that even the poems where I uh portray the maybe not so great sides of who my mom was at a certain time in her life she you know can see past that to see what it is doing in the form of art as a poem and she you know just usually loves what i'm what i'm doing but she's also a harsh critic too <laughs> and if i share a poem mm -hmm. that i'm revising she'll She'll be very honest. So. <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah. definitely a great, great influence to have for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let, let's do another poem. Um, Seeing the Dark is next. Yeah. So this poem I wrote as a response um, after reading Playing in the Dark by uh, Toni Morrison, for those folks who know that book. Um, Seeing in the Dark. When I was 12, I learned Morse code, spent a weekend at Pigeon Point Lighthouse with a ham radio, tapping greetings to kids in Russia, then waiting for their response in return. Now, when I think of lighthouses, I think of us eager to reach across borders or that 
Sinead O'Connor's song about the woman forever waiting for her man to return from sea. And sometimes I'm the woman alone in a lighthouse with underwater memories, always waiting. Some nights I search my body with a flashlight for signs of the future. Light, we've been taught, is how we find each other in the dark. The omnidirectional lens guiding boats away from dangerous edges, the North Star, the moonlight, a point of reference to cling to in the dark emptiness of night, dark, empty. The language they ascribe to our bodies is made of the same shadow and warning. It's no wonder they fear us. No wonder my father at 63 was a miracle. No wonder night, like his body, has been riddled with the language of dread. But light isn't the surest way home. We've grown accustomed to the ease of it, as if ease was the point of living. Grown idle in our new skins, forgetting our nocturnal ways. Every now and then, I remember what it felt like to see in the dark, beyond what the light reveals. To see how perfect we all are in the absence of its confident gaze. I've never seen a night unpolluted by light. Never loved a body that wasn't held up to light scrutiny, but I'm learning. Last night, I ate in the dark, closed the blackout curtains and touched my body in new ways. I remembered to be grateful. I remembered what Toni Morrison said about impenetrable whiteness, that such illusions are sinister and lazy. I remember that shadow is only ominous because language made it so. I swear to you, Listening to Nina Simone in the assiduous dark will shatter you on a cellular level. This is the ocean of what we've lost inscribed in nights unfolding. Not an eek, but a bellow. A darkness so rapturous it blinds. And there was another beautiful poem, Seeing in the Dark, from Bone Language by Jamaica Baldwin. Um, Jamaica, you mentioned you know, having a, a background in performing and, and music. Um, mm-hmm. How much of, um, of that is, is what you're doing with poetry? Like, like, what's the relationship between that kind of performance as an oral mm-hmm. storytelling kind of device? Um, it, what did you do uh, as far as, as performance goes before you were doing poetry? And how does that fit into how you write as a poet now? Um, when I was younger, I was really, um, I was in different dance groups and dance troops. Um, uh, and so it was choreography. Mm-hmm. Oops, sorry, excuse me. That's okay. Um, <laughs> earbud. Uh, so choreography, um, following choreography. And when I got older, I got into partner dancing. So that connection with another person that you don't know, um, and kind of following each other's leads, uh, uh, following each other's body movements um, is a really powerful way, form of dancing that I enjoy more than say free freestyle dance. So this ability to kind of, you know, put your hand in someone else's hand and you've never met, but then you're able to do a dance together. Um, and there's something very, it's spontaneous, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, you know, unplanned. I mean, both, both parties have done the preparation on their own, but there's something about that moment that I find really special 
And I think, I haven't really thought much about this. So this question is really interesting, but I think, I think that idea that sort of spontaneity and, and, uh, the idea of of what is choreography. I'm going to have to you know reflect on that a little bit more. And then the other thing I did was I worked behind the scenes um, for plays. So I was very much into musicals, mm-hmm. and so I did behind the scenes like set and light and sound for different plays. Um, and so I just have a very aesthetic uh, way of engaging with the world um, that I think probably in many ways. Um, comes through in both my process, you know, my writing process and probably my reading process as well. Mm-hmm. Well, there is a way to, I mean, I, I always think about it because if you go to a poetry reading and there's like a really great poet that's really, mm-hmm. you know, connecting with the audience and has music to their language, you can watch mm-hmm. their feet and their feet are always kind of <laughs> moving around in this little dance yeah. Yeah. and and they don't even like yeah. know it almost. Like there's this some, you yeah. can't get it out of your body really. I mean, poetry is, is a bodily medium. And so having yeah. that background in dance seems really valuable and just the way that, you know, the way mm-hmm. that, you know, a line is like the, the heartbeats and a breath, you know, there's all that mm-hmm. stuff going on that's so musical, mm-hmm. even though we don't think of it that way. We think of it as just, you know, speech and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and patterns of speech, mm-hmm. but, but there's real, it's really the body and the breath that is working the whole time. Yeah. I find that when I'm reading and stand, especially when I'm standing up in front of a crowd at a podium, um, my, I sway, <laughs> I sway back and forth and, uh, I've been told by certain people, you know, to stop doing that and just stand still. And it's very, it's very awkward. It's very awkward. Oh, I think that's great. To, it, to really, stand. it's a sign of a, if somebody who's really getting into it in their body, where it's supposed to come from. That's mm-hmm. the bone language, yeah. which is why it's a yeah. great. And we have a, we have a, a <laughs> yeah. poem um, too, which you should check out called "John Berryman Used to Sway," about how he would sway at his readings. So it's somewhere. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, I can't remember which okay. issue. It was okay. in one of those issues, but but John Berryman okay. for sure. And you could just look at poets, you know, when they're really yeah. into it and they're really experiencing and making music with their with their breath which is what poetry is Mm -hmm. their whole body's involved it's not you know and so um Mm -hmm. yeah it's really interesting to hear that um well i've noticed uh some already uh some some comments about your endings but but i should say uh um, if anybody has any questions for Jamaica, please leave them in the chat windows, either on Facebook or YouTube. I'm watching them and I can pass any along. But a whole bunch of people keep saying, I just, out of the corner of my eye, I keep saying, great ending, great ending to all mm-hmm. of your poems. Um, and so, so it's always a good question to ask is, well, how do you get to the end of a poem? How do you know when the end is right? And you can make somebody say great ending with that poem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know if I have an answer to that question. I know that I will a poem will remain unfinished for a really long time if I can't end it. Um, and if that ending isn't due, I have to feel that, you know, what everybody is saying, yes, or aha, I have to feel that myself. And I, it, it's just a feeling in the body when you know you've done it. There was a poem that I wanted to put in bone language and I, it was, I'm not gonna say perfect, but it was all there except for the very, very last like two lines, the mm-hmm. last couplet, I just couldn't do it. And so I did, I, I didn't put it in, you know, in the book. Doesn't mean that it'll never happen, but it didn't happen in time for that. Um, I don't know. I think um, I, I'm a big, I pay attention to the endings and I, of all the poems I read. And I think there's something, uh, there's a bit of a disappointment I feel when I'm reading an amazing poem, but it doesn't 
do that thing, <laughs> you know? And that thing, there's so many of those things. There's the open-ended endings, right? There's the endings that are an image. There's the endings that kind of come back around and cycle back to the beginning. There's all so many things you can do, but it just has to, it just has to fit, you know? Um, yeah. And I, I don't think there's any kind of, you know, magic to it. <laughs> do, you, do you think, I always wonder about this, do you think an ending is, is more, um, you know, theoretical, like, like based on the, um, the ideas ending, or do you think it's the music? Because there's a way that, like, you know, we, like, like, if there's a song, there's that um, root note or whatever that you end on, and you can mm-hmm. feel like that's where it should end, and it's strange when you don't mm-hmm. do that. Um, and there's a way that just the music of a great, of a poem that ends mm-hmm. really well sort of lands like where it's supposed to sonically. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, and I find that there's, you know, um, that I, I did this for a while when I was first starting out because I'm so invested in the music that I would have this inclination to end with, um, end rhymes you know, at the very end, have like the last two lines kind of rhyme. And I think it was, well, I think it was an easy way out. You know, I wasn't sure how to end and that just did the musical thing that kind of brought it back around for me um, and sat in my body in a way, but it wasn't necessarily uh, doing what the poem was supposed to be doing right um so i had to kind of get myself out of that it wasn't every poem but i i did notice that a little bit yeah. and i notice that in my students too sometimes <laughs> yeah well let's hear another poem uh let's do borrowed honey borrowed honey borrowed honey once mother i too writhed in the pale gold afternoon honeyed with the longing the shunt of my desire quickening into currency, the way I quickened into boys. Boys were what I learned to love about myself, how quench I could become. I kept tightening my grip, kept secrets from coughing up blue and sex. I kept at bay till it moored me with hunger. I am fastened from myself waiting for you, who kept afternooning inside sleep's memory, who kept memorying inside antidepressant afternoons. Again and again, I found you napping on the bed, shattered with the words of dead women, Plath, Sexton, Wolf. I began listening to nude songs on repeat till a boy wrapped them in yellow and sat them by the fire. He wouldn't listen when I told him, melancholy is its own kind of heat. I couldn't green without shame but all I wanted was a love that desired me anyway, or anyway, at least someone that loved my desire. Which is to say, mother, I don't begrudge you your colors. Which is to say, I kept answering your drowned voice with my own, kept singing along to our borrowed honey, kept words, the dead of women, quick with longing. Yeah, it's great. You can hear the music in that, like we were just talking about, and the way that ending you know, musically clicks on the the note that it's supposed to end on somehow, whatever that means. That was borrowed <laughs> honey from Bone Language. Um, there's a great question from um, Ellen McCarthy over on Facebook. She asks, uh, how do you approach writing about topics that have you pulsating with wrath or fear or sorrow yeah. that doesn't come off as a rant? 
Is there a tip on how to find a way into such mm. a poem? And especially, you know, right now, there's so many, you know, there's so much going on, especially in the Middle East. Uh, we want to address it somehow as, as poets and we yeah. feel a lot of emotion. But then it's so easy to, to, to fall into that ranting position where, you know, it's not really yeah. poetry, to be frank. Yeah. 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 Oh, man, that is a really important question. Um, I mean, I would probably say write the rant first, you know, but in terms of, I think my, my, the thing that I've found that works for me is to find, find the personal in it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm thinking about the poem that you published uh, back in 2017 and I was full of wrath. I was, you know, raging about Trump <laughs> and um, and a lot many things. And he had just been elected. And uh, I sat down to write, and I thought about how I am positioned in American society that is going to, you know, that has just elected a man that denies my humanity. And what does that mean? And where do my, you know, who, who raised me and where do they stand on this issue? And so then I kind of went back to my parents mm -hmm. and I looked at my mom and her grief and I looked at my dad and, you know, um, he's gone and how, you know, and so, so then I started just combining those and I found through that, that helped me understand, uh, sort of helped me, I didn't need to understand my rage. I mean, I was, I was angry, uh, but it helped me sort of situate my rage within, you know, my own lineage. And, um, and that, you know, I, I found effective, but there were definitely, I definitely had to do some revising on that poem because there were some lines in earlier drafts that um, were a little bit too finger pointy, you know, just, you know, Mm -hmm. calling people names <laughs> that wouldn't really work in a poem mm -hmm. um so yeah i i think finding the personal finding that that intimate connection that you can root in and then go out uh, go out from there has been effective and useful for me yeah well since we talk so much about it do you want to read that poem call me by my name oh, it's on page 36 sure. if you have to find it I appreciate that. I haven't read that in a while. <clears throat> uh, call me by my name after the 2016 presidential election. 16. Between Nina Simone's teeth and pendulum quiver, a tiny misery unfolds from the mountain and hills of America. Men with black lungs gather in red caps for their right to descend again. Polished white women give control of their wounds to his salmon skin savior for a myth. Alternative fact, he will come for you too. I'm the brown daughter of a white woman who voted blue and now has made a nest called sorrow from twigs of left-wing shame, from shards of blue glass bottles and jellyfish, from coral reef blue and eye bruise blue from her. There's plenty of room for you, blue. But how do I tell her I can't live there? How do I tell her she named me after papaya flesh and corn husk, after sweet juice of black women's song, whose only known border is water, who dips sacramental bread in obey a chant, 
slow-churned memories of the Arawak? Did she know they were a poetic people when she named me? Did she prophesy the seeds of ackee fruit lingering in the ashen grooves of my knees and elbows, their jerk and rock-steady lilt? What I don't know of them is the white space of every page I've not yet written. What I don't know of my people is their name. A tiny misery smokes meth in the alluvial plains of stolen land. Make America great again slides through willing teeth in the mouth of last-ditch hope. Alternative fact, I will fight for you too. I'm the brown daughter of a black man who died like black men do too soon. Back broke, inevitably. In retrospect, we should have buried him in the worn down beanie he wore every day, yellow, green, and black. Appropriation or premonition. Were he here, he'd shrug, say, ain't no surprise. Them white folk never meant us to have too much slack in that rope. How do I tell him I can't give up like that? How do I tell him he named me after a place designed to resist? Cocoa leaves and tamarind breeze, cutlass slash and parish streets. Did he know my name would call attention to how very American I am? A tiny misery spreads disease-like from every he doesn't mean that each he tells it like it is and words are just words I heard from all the well-meaning white folk who voted him in. Between Standing Rock and Flint, Michigan, I am here. Between refugee and immigrant, I am here. Between birth control and rape control, I am here. Between Nina Simone's teeth and pendulum quiver. Yeah, and that was Call Me By My Name, the beautiful poem um, after the 2016 election by uh, Jamaica Baldwin from her book Bone Language. And you can feel, you know, in addition to uh, the way that going back and being personal about the political mm-hmm. is what really connects mm-hmm. with people, I think, too. So going back mm-hmm. to that and then the music sort of you can see it's interesting to hear you talk about the poem, how it came to be a little bit. You can feel where the music of the poem sort of like like push you forward, like when you, you were sort of going back and thinking about memories and details and then the sounds. I mean, uh, someone mm-hmm. Gail Hemmen, Hemmen mentions uh, that that repetition of the do too soon. Um, mm-hmm. Also, that that whole um, the coral reef blue and I bruise blue, all those blue sounds too. sort of pulling the poem forward and letting you sort of engage with your imagination, too. It's a mm-hmm. it, it seems like a process, you know, from a distance anyway, of, of letting the poem do what it wants to do without and staying out of the way. Like you already mentioned, you know, yeah. that the. MFA yeah. program. It was about teaching you how to get out of the way of the poem almost. Yeah. And it feel, you can feel doing that there. Um, yeah. What do you think is the, the purpose of a political poem? It's always an interesting question because, mm-hmm. you know, the people who, you know, need to learn from the political poem are probably not going to be the ones who read it. Yeah. So, um, so what do you think? Um, do, you, do you think a poem can change the world? Is it something that, that is an aspiration or, or yeah. not? I might say incrementally, <laughs> not 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 overnight. Um, I mean, what it does for me, reading poems about or political poems, um, especially in times that are rife with, you know, violence, which is more often than not, unfortunately. Um, I think it's connection, you know? I think it's getting out of 
the rhetoric and the narrative of the people who are making the decisions, you know, I mean, we can get so bogged down with the facts, uh, you know, the, the statistics, the rhetoric, and just bringing it down to its basic element, you know, the, the, the human connection. Um, I think it just, for me, it helps me feel less alone. It helps me know that, you know, there are other people in time and space that may be far away from me that are, that are, um, having similar feelings, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause I, 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 you know, I mean, with the social media and everything, I, I, I feel like a poem just brings us back to our, to our core in a way. And I don't think that's going to change, you know, Biden reading a poem isn't going to, you know, and, end this conflict tomorrow. Um, but I think, I think it'll resonate. And I also think it's a way of documenting, you know, poetry, poets writing in the moment, you know, in the aftermath, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you'll be able to see that it wasn't just what's in the history books. There were all these other people that were thinking different things and feeling different things Mm -hmm. in that moment. And I think that's important too. Yeah, it's interesting. I, mean, I just have it on my mind because you mentioned Kwame Dawes, of course, and um, mm-hmm. and we had a poem um, just three weeks ago, maybe, by Alexander Umless um, about an essay mm-hmm. that Kwame wrote, um, mm-hmm. where he says that um, uh, the American political poem is a safe poem, and it makes me think a lot about what safe mm-hmm. means, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder, is there? It makes me think, is there such a thing as a safe poem? You know, do you feel like uh, mm-hmm. a poem has to have a little danger in it for yourself? Because you're trying to get at something that you don't know or want to acknowledge or, or something, you know, deeper down that, that's been hidden for a reason, maybe. And it feels yeah. like, like any good poem has a kind of danger to it. Do, do you feel that yeah. way? Do you feel like there's a danger in your poetry? Uh, some poems more than others. But, I mean, I think, I, I, knew, I know him, so I think I know what he's getting at with that. But, I mean, I think another way of saying that is, what what is at stake for you in this poem mm-hmm. right what what how are you uh implicating yourself how are you uh how are you revealing the the raw core of yourself on the page or your understanding of whatever it is that you're um writing about, you know, and I think when, when I read poems by poets that are just unflinching in the way that they include themselves, I mean, those are, they might be really hard to read, but I get very excited. Hmm. Um, uh, and it looks, there's not one way to do that. You know, it doesn't mean the poem is in your face. There can be very, um, you know, soft, softer poems that are still doing that work. So there's many ways to achieve that, but that's always sort of what I'm striving to do. Um, and I, it doesn't always, sometimes there's, there's big versions of that and smaller versions of that. And the poem will tell me what it's sort of calling for, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. yeah, well, that's interesting. Um, I, I want to get to uh, the last two poems that you had that you wanted to share. So let's read Absence now while we have time. Sure. Yeah. Absence. 
I'm learning to fill it slowly, my hands deep in the earth. I fancy myself a northern pitiful beast dazzled by the cold. But for now, this heat is all I have. For now, I will walk through the flower fields, reciting their names like a prayer or a plea, peony, hyacinth, crested coxcomb. I found the dark honey between the plague and its aftermath of more plague. What is suppressed always comes back stronger. I must admit, I envy its flower-shaped resilience, such brilliant molecular beauty. Soon, we will learn to forage for dead things on all fours, tonguing tomorrow's ravages, blackened forests, oil-slick sea anemones, a broken doll with a missing eye. This is where I'll place the freshest bloom. This is where I'll emerge from absence like a carnivorous creature after winter, dripping with hunger. Mm, that was absence. Uh, one of the end poems from Bone Language by Jamaica mm-hmm. Baldwin. Um, and the last poem that you wanted to share was uh, a cento. And, and that's mm-hmm. not something that you see all that often in books of poetry. Cento is, of course, composed of lines from other poets. Um, what was it like, you know, writing that? And why did you want to tackle a cento um, like you did? <laughs> um, I think my initial impulse was t- to tackle it to mm-hmm. do it, you know, um, and I attempted to write a traditional center that was a hundred lines of borrowed, borrowed lines. Uh, it didn't end up working poetically, so I cut that down. But um, I think I was really inspired because of what I was, who I was borrowing the lines from, mm-hmm. you know, I, um, as I was getting deeper and deeper into poetry and reading the, the bios and getting to know all these poets like Audre Lorde and Lucille Clifton and, um, Lorraine Hansberry, not a poet, but you know, a black woman writer in the 20th century. I uh, was learning that they all died from cancer, you know, mm-hmm. at different ages, some young, some older. But knowing the statistics now, as a survivor myself, and that you know, um, black women don't get diagnosed as much as white women, but they are more likely to die of their disease. Um, there's just something about that knowledge and seeing that consistently among all of these brilliant um, black women writers that uh, just made me very emotional. And I wanted to kind of write something that was honoring them and, and also connecting me to them. So mm-hmm. the, so the poet, the poem includes lines from just those five those five writers. Yeah, I mean, it's such a powerful poem, given, you know, like, the setup of what the title is, you know, that knowing Mm -hmm. that these are all people who died um, from breast cancer, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, do you want to go ahead and read that to close out the the show? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure every single one of them died from breast cancer, but definitely cancer. Um, Ascento for Black Women Who Died from Cancer, dedicated to Gwendolyn, Audrey, Lorraine, Lucille, June. Her bars lie wet, open, and empty, and she has made herself again out of flesh, out of dictionaries. I am she, and this is my story of her. How much of the truth to tell? I was born black and female. For those of us who are imprinted with fear like a faint line in the center of our foreheads, the dark hangs heavily over the eyes. Nobody show me how to make a cup of coffee with no hands. If I could grow arms on my scars like them, I wouldn't apologize for my thorns either. Just stand in the desert and witness the destruction within me. 
hoping that when the devil days of my hurt drag out to their last dregs and I resume on such legs as are left wondering which me will survive all these liberations, I might understand, except that I'm tired of understanding. If this alphabet could speak its own tongue, it would be all symbol, surely. Simply a long line as in geometry, you know, one that reaches into infinity. And because we cannot see the end, we also cannot see how it changes in the non-cheering dark, in the many, many mornings after, in the chalk and the choke, a huge raggedy scar. And so I go on, I wish to live because life has within it that which is good, that which is beautiful, and that which is love. Mama, I want so many things. I want so many things that they are driving me kind of crazy. I cannot bear an interruption. This is the shining joy, the time of not to end. I have decided I have something to say about female silence, so to speak. These are my two cents on the subject. My work is to inhabit the silences with which I have lived and fill them with myself until they have the sounds of the brightest day and the loudest thunder. If anything should happen before it is done, may I trust that all my commas and periods will be placed and someone will complete my thoughts. Yeah, that's just such a great poem uh, to end on such a great example of the cento working really well a cento for black women who died from cancer um you know so moving in so many ways and, and also the way you wove it through and made new meaning out of the lines and, and it really well done i love that uh, thanks so much for sharing it and thanks for being a guest yeah, jamaica it's you. been so great talking to you i uh, get to uh, explore this book and your poetry yeah thank you yeah much appreciated thank you uh, great yeah thanks so much have a good night you too yeah, and that was Jamaica Baldwin. Um, you can find more of Jamaica's work, of course, at her website, which is jamaicabaldwin.com, just like it looks on uh, Jamaica Baldwin. Um, and her book, of course, is Bone Language. So do check that out. Now we're going to take a quick break and go to our prompt lines. And we have a special, uh, the prompt poem of the month was uh, just um, chosen yesterday. And we have the uh, prompt poet here as well. We'll feature that poem uh, from the October prompts. We'll give you some new prompts, and then we will talk about the prompts that we have right now. And the um, how it's going to work is this. Let me see. Right there. So nowadays, after we switch to this prompt lines from the open lines, um, you're going to email your poem to promptlines at rattle.com. I'll pull them up both if you, if you only did one, it's okay. But try to email to promptlines at rattle.com this time. And the poems are anything you want that fits the prompts. And this week's prompt was to write a poem that features a shadow. So email your poem to me there at promptlines at rattle.com. Then find the Zoom link, which I'm about to add on Facebook and YouTube. Um, and then... Um, and then uh, join us on the Zoom to share your poem. Uh, two pages max is always how we get, so we can make sure we fit through everybody. Um, otherwise, if you only want to watch and enjoy these great prompt poems based on the prompt, um, just sit tight right where you are and uh, enjoy the poems, either on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. Uh, and I will be right back with uh, Katie Dozier and the prompt lines. So I'll be right back. And 
we're back. Thanks so much for your patience with Katie Dozier here in Katie's house, which uh, it's only appropriate if we let our Front Poems editor join us while we're at her house. Yes, thank so. you for allowing me to enter a room of my house. I appreciate yeah. <laughs> No problem, Katie. Um, so we have, uh, how do you want to start? Do you want to, let's talk to uh, Tammy Greenwood yeah, first. I'm super excited to talk to Tammy. Yeah, so uh, here, let's ask you to uh, unmute Tammy. Hi, Tammy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's so great to see you. So glad you could join us. Um, and you have the prompt poem of the month, which is uh, the accordion. So the prompt, uh, to remind everybody, was to pick an inanimate object and trace the evolution of your relationship with it throughout your life. So uh, so uh, how did you approach it? How did you know you wanted to write about the accordion? Uh, well, it's funny because the poem had been um, sitting and waiting for quite some time in a, um, in a folder. And then I read um, y'all's poems, uh, Tim and Katie, uh, the poem about the watch and the rocks. And um, I just said, okay, that I need that the accordion needs me to write it. So um, yeah, it it was the prompt plus reading your poems that um, allowed me to get that story down. That's super interesting, too, because within the poem, of course, the accordion has almost a similar fate for some of the time. So that's really interesting that you then picked up the poem again and that inspired you, too. And it's a really wonderful American sonnet, that phrase coming up a lot It does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, why don't you go ahead and read it, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it after you do. Okay. The accordion. The highlight of every Christmas was you climbing the attic staircase like a memory to your childhood, carrying down the brown leather case that held the pearl-keyed Titano accordion, bought by your parents the year you had rheumatic fever and told you'd never walk again. We sat at your feet waiting for the one song you learned before you proved them wrong as you squeezed life into the empty vessel exhaling La Vienne Rose. The year we had to honor your do not resuscitate wish, there were no rescues, our breath only shallowing as we tried to follow yours, all of us still as the air left the room. Now I keep the leather case close, collecting dust beneath my bed, knowing at any time my arms wrapped around leather and linen lungs. The music can be so easily revived. Yeah, I just love that ending, the uh, leather, linen, and lungs uh, there. That was The Accordion by Tammy Greenwood. And uh, so, so, Katie, what was it that, that made this poem stand out to you from uh, all the others that you read? Well, one thing that stood out to me about it so much was the fact that there's so much said, but so much unsaid in the poem. And I think that, you know, the length really helps that out too, in terms of allowing, you know, poems for me have to have a little bit that's unsaid, but so much that is said and you accomplish both. And um, I really love the the story of the accordionist and then the idea too of, you know, what happens to these musical instruments once the person who played them is no longer with us. And it also made me think about, over the holidays, with the holidays coming up, how much uh, we're all going to be feeling that even more. So a really beautiful poem. Thank you for writing it. Thank you for giving it space. Thank you. Yeah, just a perfect poem for this time of year, too. Yeah, thanks for sharing it, Tammy, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you.
Thank you. Yeah. And that was Tammy Greenwood with the uh, prompt poem of the month. And uh, that poem is going to appear at Rattle.com on Thursday. Uh, that's going to be Thursday's poem because we have the Tuesday poem um, that you already read or listened to at the beginning of the episode. Now, uh, let's go. What do you want to do? Let's go to uh, this week's um, prompt poems. Okay. Are you going to go first this time? You're <laughs> always want... making me go first. <laughs> I'm making like... you go first. Okay. <laughs> so the prompt for this week was to... Here you go. It was, very simply, mm-hmm. of course, it was to, um, there we go, write a poem that features a shadow, mm-hmm. okay? And so you were kind of giving me a hard time <laughs> about about how I never write Ars Poetica poems. That's true. I so, was like, you don't, what's with you? You never write Ars Poetica. Like, how, do, yeah. how are you a poet that doesn't write Ars Poetica? Come yeah, on. Yeah, and so I thought yeah. I'd write a little Ars Poetica. Uh-huh. My, I think it's the second time I've ever done one. <laughs> so... <laughs> Here's my Ars Poetica, based on a shadow. Hmm? Not the thought, but just its passing, like an airplane shadow moving through an open field. The occluding object, as it's known, could be small, a ball thrown, a tiny bird, the scent around a single word. So too the thing revealed. Here then gone, overhead a hundred souls, the dimmest flash of song. There's my Ars Poetica. Nice. You should yeah. write more of them. No, nah, I don't think so. But anyway. <laughs> okay, so what did you write this week, Katie? All right. Well, I, a little different for me, I would say. I went a little different. Um, I did start out, actually, as kind of an Ars Poetica, too, and mine, too. It starts there, and then it went somewhere I wasn't expecting, as I titled it afterwards. So not too surprisingly coming from me. You guys are probably rolling your eyes that it's another hymen written by me, but here we go. Not only a hymen, though, but a verse hymen. Oh, yeah, which I have to thank Joshua Eric Williams for giving me that term, a verse hymen, because I was like, it's kind of an American sonnet, which... You know, it's a, like it tends to be things come out 14 lines a lot of the time. It's just the way it is. And it's with the amount of time I have to write, too. It's probably part of it. But all right. Chicka, chicka, boom, boom. You could say my whole life took place in the shadows behind the curves of letters, their humps and wild bumps curly cueing darkness across my face. Bathing in the shade of a coconut tree, Mrs. Duncan said I was born to be a writer. So I scribbled even harder on her stapled sheets colored a construction paper cover with a yellow crayon squeezed in the cave of my fist, drew a girl with arms that stuck out straight, just like this, cueing yet more shadows. Unlike Plato, she had to pull me from beneath my desk after the tornado. Solar flare. My daughter asked the meaning of life. Yeah, and that's, uh, that was the uh, hyben, uh, verse hyben, Chicka Chicka Boom Boom by Katie Dozier. And uh, the... the, the <laughs> The haiku is really great at the end, which is the trick to a hyphen, right? Like you could almost write anything, yeah, and then as long as <laughs> and be like, connect the dots, people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, excellent, uh, excellent haiku at the end. Uh, really cool. Thank uh, hyphen. you. Thanks for I have to say it. too, there wasn't a real tornado. I just remember that was like Mrs. Duncan was an amazing teacher that I had in elementary school, and we had like a lot of tornado warnings. Or I remember there being a lot of tornado warnings. <laughs> it's one of the two in, in Kentucky. Then. Well, the, the poem is always true. It's a truth it's deeper a truth. than truth. Yeah. yeah. I got to find Miss Duncan and share it with her, I think. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, excellent. Uh, that was the uh, Katie Doge's prompt poem. And as it, it lists here at the bottom, conveniently, mm-hmm. uh, the poetry space coming up is what we and Katie do on Thursdays. Uh, that is over on X. 
And uh, it's a space, so it's sort of like a roundtable discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, Dick Westheimer is often there. Paul Mitchell Bernstein mm-hmm. there. Um, other... Nate Jacobs is going to be there this week, I hope. I'm saying he hasn't committed yet, but okay. <laughs> I asked him to be. Yeah, so mm-hmm. you see a lot of regulars there. And that's where we just sit around a roundtable discussion, talk mm-hmm. about some topic in poetry. This week we're talking about guzzles, mm-hmm. which is important, of course, because the guzzle uh, tribute uh, is coming up at Rattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the deadline's going to be January 15th, mm-hmm. so um, we'll teach you how to write a guzzle over on the poetry space and then read some great ones too. So that's coming up on Thursday. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to these uh, now called prompt lines. And um, oh, I have this too. Let me think. Let's see. Oh, there we go. Oh, <laughs> how nice. Just, I, yeah, my finally, name made it. Yay. Finally, your name made it. Okay. <laughs> so um, let's go first. So I have to log into the old prompt lines too. Hang on. Oh, wait a minute. I wish I could juggle so I could entertain people <laughs> during this. I'm sorry. I have no tricks besides poems. So I was logged in and that logged me out. I'm sorry. It is true. I can verify this. Oh, no. It didn't save the... Oh, this is terrible. That's all right. I was also telling people that there wasn't a new email, so I think we oh, really? both have our errors. Okay. <laughs> well, what was the password? Okay. Um... What was the password? I made a password. No, I didn't know there was an email. Um, <laughs> okay. So let's go, uh, let's open up the other email. Gosh, this is terrible. I was going to say that um, what's neat, though, about um, the upcoming prompt is a little bit of a spoiler, which I won't give totally away, but is that it also ties in to Tammy Greenwood's poem. So that's going to be neat. Mm-hmm. The next one looking into it. Let's go first. Let's go to the people who have, <laughs> they sent them to the wrong place yeah, first. Yeah, let's go <laughs> And we'll call that's, them out on it. That's convenient. And um, so uh, I think Nivedita was here. Yeah. Well, fortunately, a lot of people sent to the old open mic email address, which is yeah. great because I, I can't remember the password. I wrote it down, but it's in the other room. And uh, I thought it was going to be saved. Mm-hmm. So um, let's go to Nivedita. And if you if you email to promptlines at rattle.com, email it again to open mike at rattle.com and we'll we'll correct this problem next week. Okay. <laughs> so let's try to find hey Nivedita, how are you? Thanks for bailing me out by being here. <laughs> I'm doing great, thank you. How about you? I'm I'm doing great. And uh, so anyway, Nivy, so what do you have to share for us? Thank you again for joining. I have a problem. <laughs> Uh, in that it features a shadow, but not a shadow in the true sense of the shadow, sort of like a shadow of ourselves, our past selves. Uh-huh. Um, it's on those lines. So it's a shadow, but an oblique version of a shadow. Interesting. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to hearing this. Go ahead whenever you're ready. I'll put it up. Okay, thank you. A shadow of my former self. Beneath the somber veil of memory's shroud, I stand, a shadow of my former self. Fading echoes of laughter lost in time. A silhouette adrift in the currents of change. Glimmers of yesterday haunt these eyes, a spectral reflection of what used to be. In the depths of solitude, I search for traces, seeking fragments of the person I once knew. Yet within the shadow, a whisper of strength, a resilient spirit weathered but unbroken, I emerge reborn from the ashes of the past. Oh, that was excellent. A shadow of my former self, maybe, and uh, definitely I'm um, feeling the poem there. It was Nibby DeKarthic uh, with uh, A Shadow of My Former Self. Okay, now let's go. Oh, Stephen Allen's here. I don't know if Stephen's been on before. I've known him for like 20 years online. 
Wow. So Stephen, yeah, we've published uh, some of his poems. Uh, we've published some reviews of his a long time ago. Hey, Stephen, how you doing? Pretty good. Yeah, it's great to see you. And uh, uh, hopefully you sent the email to the wrong one, too. <laughs> I sent it to both, I think. Okay. Yeah. Smart man. Yeah. yeah. So so what do you have to share with us? It's great to see you. Where are you calling from, too, I should say? I am calling from St. Joseph, Michigan, which is on the lake in the southwest corner. Mm-hmm. Kind of, if you envision Chicago, it's directly across the lake from that. And I'm broadcasting from my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Excellent. Uh, I'm not seeing the poem here on the Open Lines email. Let's see. I just, I don't see it. Do you see it? Okay. Yeah, we'll swing back once the email gets here. I'm sorry about that. I really oh, should no have worries. remembered that. But I thought it saved it, though. No, it didn't make you <laughs> enough coffee today. No. It's my fault, guys. That's so anyway, let's go, while we're waiting for that, let's go to uh, Brian O'Sullivan. Yeah, I don't understand it. It's like you're not getting the emails. Yeah, I think maybe there's a separate problem or something. Because I have your uh, yeah. reply to the reply. That is that is strange, Brian. Um, gosh. Okay. What do you look for. I'll talk to Brian. How are you doing, Brian? <laughs> I'm okay. How are you? Good. I'm doing good. I should say also, I could take this moment to say that you are already an active participant of our new Prop Lines Facebook group. So thank you for posting in there and sharing a cool poem yes. today. And thank you for creating it. Well, I think it'll be fun. I think too, it's like, there's so many times where like, I want to read a poem right after the fact. And I mean, of course I have access and submittable, but not everybody does, of course. And so I think it'll be a really good environment for that and to spur each other on. Yay. So Brian, so what was your, uh, what was your, how was, how did you confront the shadow poem? <laughs> so I was, like I said, obsessed with, um, for some reason it just brought to mind these lines about shadows from the wasteland and so I just had to kind of do something with that before I could move on and try to make it my own. So that's where it starts. Excellent. And it's called If Model If Motel Marketers Read have read Modernist Poetry after Elliot's the Wasteland. <laughs> um only there is shadow under this red roof. Come in under the shadow of this red roof, and we will show you hospitality. Your shadow at morning rising to go to our all-you-can-eat breakfast bar and your shadow at happy hour entering our scarlet lounge for showcase cocktails and onion rings. We will not show you fear. That's down the road. Though this is probably part of what Elliot was afraid of. It's always post-apocalypse for someone. Ouch. But out of that awful truth, maybe we humble modernist marketers can carve a small bit of comfort if from Elliot's falling fragments some narrow niche could be nicked out to make a living from literary leavings. Maybe the nightmares of now, narcissistic politicians, the panic of AI, the parade of melting glaciers may marshal in somehow some kind of second chapter that we'll name normal and will navigate with grace and gusto, gaming out a semblance of sanity or something. Maybe we're just marketers who majored in English. Really just rest under our red roof. (laughs) That is great, Brian. Such a fun poem again, just like last week too. Uh, If motel marketers read modernist poetry. (laughs) Yeah, you're so good at meandering from funny to more serious. I love it. I'm good at meandering. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> well, excellent. Yeah, thanks so much, Brian, and, and thanks for uh, for, for bailing me out too. I guess for we're... becoming one of the primary guests tonight. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Okay, now let's swing back to. Um, well, we'll see if we actually have uh, Stephen Allen's poem. There it is. Okay, we have it. Yay! Okay, it's Eclipse, which is interesting. I thought about eclipses too. Hey, Stephen, are you back? Let me. 
There you go. How you doing? Pretty good. Yeah, thanks for your patience. Usually it's smoother than this. This is the perfect time for you to be, make your first appearance on the <laughs> Rattlecast. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, so this prompt actually gave me a chance to look over an older poem. Mm -hmm. um, the eclipse referred to here was not the most recent one, but one from back in the 90s. Um, so shadows of the eclipses. Um, eclipse. Lacunas of the nighttime fill slowly as soft rains fill the channels gouged from backwoods mountain trails. We'd hiked these trails the day before, came back tired, thirsty, sore. That night, we opened the wrong door, collapsed in the wrong bed, sleeping the stolen sleep of the righteous. Creeping down to breakfast the next morning, we realized our mistake, all wrong. Coffee tasting off, scones strangely bitter. The sun still shone, but oddly. We walked in double shadows, doubled ourselves, four to go, far to go. Returning home, we found ourselves at odds. The world grew large and way too bright. We curled up inside our garden, furled in flowers for our defense. Sunlight found us scared. We wanted night. A final chance to make things right, but the doors did not align. We could not go back. A sigh, a wisp, and that was all. No sign of hope. It was not our time. I love the rhymes in there, too. That's Eclipse yeah. by Stephen Allen. Thanks so much for joining us, Stephen. It's been a pleasure. Great to see you again. It's been a while. Yeah. I, my schedule finally aligned properly with the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, well, so glad. Yeah, I hope you get to come back soon. Hope this, hope the, uh, the the planets align Again. with the sun. Yep. With like the, the sun, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Yeah, thanks so much, Stephen. Yeah, it was Stephen Allen with Eclipse. And that brings up an important question, Katie, as Prompt Poems oh, editor. Oh, does it? <laughs> so somebody emailed me this and asked, Okay. is it okay if it's like an older poem that they just tweak a little yes, bit? Yes, it is, I think. It's like, okay. don't send me a poem you've already written. Be honest. If it inspires you to, to reopen a poem and get back into it, then that's great. You know, we're prompting you then to reopen the poem. That's how I feel about it. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's what I would have said. That's what too. you would have said, mm -hmm. too. Okay, good. Yeah, because, you know, <laughs> even if it's just inspiring you to do yeah. something something that was you know like on the back burner that yeah. you knew you wanted a poem and you right. didn't you weren't doing it right that made it happen so that's yeah. that's the whole point of uh play the accordion <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly okay so let's see uh let's go uh, audrey friedman good evening hey audrey Hi. okay so i have something that was written today and while waiting i decided to chop off the last um the last stanza. So, Dawn Beach, 2012. Dragons in crystal caves, hidden by sargassum, they stalk you. Cumulus clouds cast dark shadows on x-rays. They gave you six months. You survived 13 years telling the crows to croak. I, I like it better with you cutting the last stanza. I agree with that last minute edit too, Audrey. That's really powerful. Always <laughs> revising, right? <laughs> yeah. And I love it that you wrote it today. I love just written poems, especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, excellent uh, sequence there. That's, yeah. That's really beautiful. Thanks yeah. for sharing that, Audrey. Thank you. 
Yeah, it was Audrey Friedman with uh, Dawn Beach 2012. Um, next up, let's go to Carla Schwartz. Hi. Hi. Hey, Carla. Oh, we have another hyphen. So oh, nice, you, you are Carla. just contagious with your hyphen. Indeed. So are my minor Indeed. cold also. Indeed. And it is titled Solar Eclipse. Mm -hmm. So, okay. And it's short. Okay. <laughs> Very short. It would have been only partial for us in New Hampshire, said to peak a bit afternoon, so we kept our hopes up. But as the hour approached, I'd glance at the sky, one minute clear, the next in shadow, too much cloud to cover to catch even a portion of the famous ring of fire. Moon lines up, clouds prevail, stellar mishap. <laughs> uh, that's great and you know that's a great reminder too because there's a, a full solar eclipse over my hometown of rochester new york coming up when in like a april april 8th yeah april exactly 8th. it's like right over rochester and I'm th it was tempting to go yeah but to like fly you know and like take the kids there or something <laughs> and then maybe it's a cloudy day which it often is in april in mm -hmm. western new york uh, yeah that's a good point well, you need to look at the whole bar because you can go closer to california you just have to you know that's true that's true but you know it'd be nice to visit visit back home the too home, yeah but, but that is rolling the dice that is rolling the dice that's true not quite the poker right, yeah. analogy but my close. grandfather used to travel around for eclipses and he did just he? did that constantly he went literally to antarctica not knowing if he'd be able to see it so maybe oh we can gosh. swing rochester <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Thank you uh, for such a lovely night of poetry. Yeah, thanks as always, Carla. It's always great yeah, to see you. Yeah. Great poem, too. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's Carla Schwartz with uh, Solar Eclipse. Next up, we have uh, Sharon Ferrante. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey, Sharon. How you doing? Okay, what a great night. Yeah. Thank you for what Jamaica and you. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, she was fabulous. Oh, thanks. Yeah, she definitely was. It's a great book and a beautiful. I love that cover too. Yeah, actually. Oh, don't tell me to get another book. Oh my god. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> All right. Yeah. So, what do you have to share with us tonight? I did a shadow prompt uh, in a in a charita, mm -hmm. and I shared it on the page today, or was it yesterday? I can't. I don't know what day it is. Thank you it's for sharing thing. it in our Facebook group. I was thrilled when you did so. Yeah. <laughs> And that's oh, a great said, segue, too. Yeah, yeah, if you're on Facebook, we have a Facebook group now. Yeah. Just tip in Rattlecast Prompts. Mm -hmm. And you can, you know, share and read prompts, talk about your frustrations, pull your hair out. Yeah, whatever. that's true. You don't just yeah. have to be happy. You're allowed to be like, this pull prompt is awful, out. Katie. <laughs> well, I didn't pull my hair out because I just wrote six lines. I did it. I did it. Okay. I did it. But, um, yeah, let me just get to it. For centuries now, a past life floating on today's hills. My shadow tips her pink fedora. Oh, that's beautiful. And I love that Charita form too. Me too. Sharon, when you Me start too. writing a Charita, do you know you're going to going into it normally or do you just start writing and then think that it fits that after the fact? You know what? I think all my short writing, they tell me because I tried to write a haku about the pink fedora a couple times, and I couldn't do it. Sometimes when I write, I say, I'm gonna do a tonka, it wants a tonka. And then this one I say, you know what, I want that pink fedora because it was a memory of mine of an old girlfriend 
that passed away. Mm-hmm. And I said, I got to get this in, into something. So I said, let me do this, this in a charita. And I got it the way I want it now. So thank, thank you so much for that prompt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah. Nice sharing. That's great. Yep. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Hi. That's Sharon Ferrante with, uh, do Charitos have, Charitos have titles? I don't think they tend to. So, Charitos don't, untitled like a hot Untitled. Let's call it for centuries now. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Sharon. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. Yep. Bye. All right. And so uh, let's go next to, let's see, uh, try to go in the order. Uh, let's go to, uh, let's go to Nate Jacob next. I'm coming. Here I am. <laughs> hey, Nate, how you doing? I'm good. Hey, I uh, I went ahead and revived a poem that I wrote in a previous life. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's like, that is quite, it's hard to revive harder than that. <laughs> <laughs> I did write a poem, though. Uh, I thought about doing uh, something about the moon, but I can't. <laughs> so uh, I went ahead and went with an erratic, which is uh, yeah. Erratics are uh, stones, usually gr- big stones, boulders that are left behind by receding um, glaciers. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that word. That's amazing. <laughs> you should look them up online because some of these things are the size of houses. They are. It's amazing. They're yeah. just wow. out in the middle of nowhere. There's no reason mm-hmm. for them. So. Uh, wrote a poem about it all right erratic and found consider that enormous chill granite chunk alone for all the wide world since forever back in the green expanse of some mountain meadow consider the impossible distance from any cliff's shadow such a ragged marble could never have rolled from as if it had clotted along on squared jagged edges mossy now Consider, wanderer, how far removed you are from the fading times of endless ice and snow, the marks and deposits that you carry along. Now consider the receding, letting go way of letting go way of things, that sense of loss and the uncovering of spaces you'd always hoped to leave hidden, buried, and dark. Consider how long you walked those three days in from the saddles behind you, from crag and scrabble. This is too far to go to stand in the shadow of this stone. But here you both are, alone, leaning into one another, neither arrived as a means of escape. You were left here. Wherever you go from here, the rock stays behind. Oh, that's great. I love working the geology into a poem. One of my secret loves is geology. (laughs) Geology and poem. I do, yeah. I love the the alone to stone rhyme in between the second to last stanza and then the middle of the first line of the last stanza. It's really pretty. I like Thank that you. a lot. Yeah, yeah, great. It's just such a poetic concept, too. With your, I know. Uh, I'm obsessed. Left. I'm like mad you beat me to the poem, Nate Jacobs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, left forever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Nate. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, that was Nate Jacob with uh, Erratic and Found. And um, next, we will go to uh, Nancy Tunnell. All right. Hi, Nancy. Good to see you. Hi. I've been out of town for several weeks, so it's my first time back in a in a bit. That's good to see um, you. I really wanted to write a shadow poem uh, that dealt with a shadow self. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then I, <laughs> I had this wild idea of uh, going back to age 16 and thinking that Bob Dylan and his songs, you know, just empowered the universe to go in a better direction. And then wondering if his shadow self had taken hold of him because I read in the news that he got married and he married a fashion model. Oh my and gosh. It just, it just oh, seemed, Bob, it I think, me, I think we need to take but back anyway. his Nobel prize in literature for that move. <laughs> but I, I went in another direction uh, because I was inspired by seeing uh, a news article on um on the 26.2 club in San Quentin prison, hmm. men who train for a marathon and, uh, and they run parallel to uh, the Boston marathon, but they're running in their prison yard. Oh my gosh. Wow. wow. But it really, mm -hmm. it really um, transforms their lives. Wow. So I wrote uh, a poem called rehabilitation hmm. and uh, it, it's about a different kind of shadow. I believe in transcendence, the ability to rise above the base and mean things that add weighty burdens to our aspirations. Our feet become moored, unmovable, like a falcon whose leg is tethered to a perch, only set free when the owner permits flight. My past brought me to this place where I served the sentence handed to me. My past is a shadow that hovers and haunts. But I believe in overcoming challenges, designing an exit and walking through it, traveling farther than anyone expected. I will rise above this and escape the shadows, control my fate, control my flight. The noble and good things await me. I am embracing the higher ideals, though no one thought I could. I will be transcendent. Ah, great poem, great story about that. Yeah. And, you know, it's perfect timing, too, because I just sent uh, another... Um, you know, 500 copies of uh, Rattle Out to Prisoner Express um, to deliver oh. poetry to the prisons, which is what we do since we did that issue uh, back two years ago or so. Um, we have a little newsletter we send and then they get copies of Rattle. Mm -hmm. and, and poetry is so empowering too um, in prisons, giving people something to, you know, so a way to express themselves and to communicate with the outside world. It's so hard. And uh, Yes, and so rehabilitative too. Yeah. So it's really cool to see that poem too. An amazing story yeah. with a marathon yeah, in the a, prison. A yeah, fascinating interpretation of the prompt too. Wow, it's really well. Sixty Minutes did a did an art the feature on them mm -hmm. last week, and and I saw them running around that yard, and I just uh, one man who did get paroled, and who actually ran the Boston Marathon oh, wow. now goes back into the prison to help coach. Oh, wow, the wow. inmate. That's it's really, amazing. yeah, that's amazing. Great yeah. story. Thanks so much for sharing that with us. Yeah, yeah thank you. That was Nancy Tunnell, again, with Rehabilitation. And um, it's a great example, too, of, um, you know, you can, uh, you know, you can have prompt poems that are also poet respond poems. So if anybody needs a fix of news and needs to write about the news, that's just true. write about news, stuff that comes out based on, you know, a shadow or whatever uh, next that's week's prompt happens too. to be. Yep. Yep, exactly. And that'll give you like a sort of a twofer type uh <laughs> yeah. use yeah that's true um next let's go to uh zachary honeycutt hey 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 tim hey, hey Katie. Zach. yeah hey. good to see you 
Good. It's really good to see you. So uh, just like Count Dooku in Star Wars would say, I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> yeah, and I've got, I saw you uh, post this somewhere too. This is a creepy old house that makes my creepy old house from last week look yeah. less creepy, I would say. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't, Tim. It's, 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 it's equal. It's equal. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that, is, that is a creepy. If I walked by that house, I would think this house is haunted. You wouldn't walk by it. You would run. I would run. I would cry. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would sprint mildly. <laughs> All right. So okay. so this is a sonnet after this. Uh, do you, is there anything you want to tell us about? Explain the story. I a have bit? a lot to. Yeah. Okay. So I'll start with the story. So this one. Um, yeah, I was working here several years ago with my dad. This is in downtown Gainesville, and we were working across the street. And I don't even remember what exactly we were doing. I've, I've done a lot of different things with my dad. I've built fences with my dad. I've built decks with my dad. I've um, done like crown molding jobs with my dad. I've painted, but I was on my break and I didn't have much left to do. And I saw this beautifully horrid house and I just felt like writing a sonnet. So I got really inspired and I just thought that it looked haunted. And so what I'm gonna read tonight is just what came out of my pen, the inspiration that I guess God spoke through my pen that day. Excellent, yeah. <laughs> well, for those of us, if you're just listening uh, on the audio version, come to YouTube just to see this creepy house, I would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I have to say, so I know there's a two-page limit, but the reason this is three pages is because uh, I think maybe I was I was uh, exuberant from the scare bin that we made last <laughs> week that you came the, up with the title and I wrote the poem for. I actually invented a new hybrid poem. It's a cross between a pantoum and a Spenserian sonnet. Interesting. And so... I'm going to read, this is the original Shakespearean sonnet, and then I'm going to read the new creation that's from it. And I actually put the rhyme structure here so you guys can follow along with me in bold. And then I just want to share with you guys really quick what's actually going on here. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll put this up on Facebook either tonight or tomorrow so you guys can check it out for yourselves. Well, very cool. Oh, in the wanted... Facebook group. How yeah. great. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I wanted it to be a surprise. I wanted and I have to, to say too, like, you say this is long, but the it's like one point. It's more than one and a half spacing. Yeah, and you have the picture in there and too. the picture too. Yeah. So I, I that's I, above the rules. That's good, Zachary is. Honeycutt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, you guys right. will let me slide. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Sonnet ten: A house forgotten. That house is better days behind, not lacking. It's character, but everything else he sees, shafted by time and tough terrain attacking the siding, entrenched roots enravel its knees. Such misfortune must have been its portion. It's just going through the motions, thought he, aching outside and flaunting its fortune, cause it don't give a damn about history. All that could be said was not just spoken, but heard by it, and disregarded, he surmised. Taunts of neighborhood kids was its token, their children and their ghosts somehow surprised. The grimy window panes do not conceal some shadow passing by to show it's real. Uh, and that was a sonnet version. We got to show the picture of the house again. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> so, uh, so this is called a panet, P-A-N-N-E-T. It is the evolution of a pantoum and a Spenserian sonnet. Mm. And I literally pulled it out of the lines of this Shakespearean sonnet. Oh, this is the next step. Okay, that's the, so, yeah, really interesting. So you took the sonnet and made it a pantoum. Yeah. That is really neat. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And you guys will see until the very last couplet, it works perfectly as a pantoum and also a Spenserian sonnet without breaking the rules. Hmm. Interesting. So, wow. you, yeah. A house forgotten. That house is better days behind, not lacking. It's character, but everything else he sees. Shafted by time and tough terrain attacking the siding, entrenched roots unravel its knees. It's character, but everything else? He sees such misfortune must have been its portion. Siding with time, roots unravel its knees as it aches outside and flaunts its fortune. Such misfortune must have been its portion? It's just going through the motions, thought he. Aching outside and scoffing at fortune, because it don't give a damn about you or me. Some shadow passing by to show it's real. The grimy window panes do not conceal. Oh, very cool. That is a great form. I was thinking, Zach, of maybe we should make this a prompt, but that might be hard. I mean, that is a really hard thing. It's almost like being like, oh, for this week's prompt, write a heroic crown of sonnets or something. <laughs> I would... I would love it if you guys made it a prompt to see what all of you guys do and get your interpretation. Mm -hmm. Let me show you exactly, because I spelt it out for here, like Mickey Mouse directions. Okay. These are the rules. This is why I did this. So I'm going to show the rules. Okay. And I'll put this up on the Facebook group. Okay. Okay. So Zachary Honeycutt's Panet, it's a hybrid or cross between a Spenserian sonnet and a pantoum that is pulled out of an existing Shakespearean sonnet like an alien from an astronaut's <laughs> chest. That was a plot twist. Of course okay. you had to go there. Yeah. Good metaphor for a famous movie. I started out doing an Italian sonnet, and then I realized, oh, frick, that does not work. Hmm. The best sonnet is the Spenserian that translates over to the pantoum. Oh. That was uh, Zachary Honeycutt with... Uh, uh, a house forgotten, the world's first panet. You saw it here, folks. When... Which also sounds like a loaf of bread vaguely to me, so I like that aspect. Too. <laughs> that does too, yeah. <laughs> All right, Lex, let's go. I'll try to keep it in order. And let's go to Dick Westheimer next. Hey, all. Hey, Hi. Dick. Yeah, how you doing? Good. Trying to get used to this new prompt poem <laughs> only. <laughs> I, I like it though. I really like the variety within the constraints. It's almost like yeah. having to write formal poetry or something. Yeah. Just the the fact that you have to move within this little confine makes a little. Uh, I don't know. I like the feel. Yeah. So so uh, to the um, court of um, uh, decision making here, uh -huh. <laughs> you have to make one on the spot. Uh, but our prompt poems from other weeks. Will they be? Uh, you can, you can, you can work on this offline. 
<laughs> I don't know. It does feel like we have so many and everybody's writing every week that probably it would make more sense to focus on just this week's because we are so lucky to have so many people here that want to read poems. That's a very good answer. Was it a judicious answer? <laughs> it was. My Sound attempt like a... to be boss-like, but not me. <laughs> Like, kind of like a politician. Now, yes. uh, I, I know that one of the nice things about rattle rules is that if you stick around long enough, they get supplanted by other women. <laughs> they do. That true. is very true. Shh, don't tell the secrets, Dick Wester. <laughs> All right. So what do you have for us this week, Dick? Uh, I have a, a poem that probably will not have the title that it has now. That has a little picture on top, if you want to bring it up. Yeah, I see it. And I don't know what that is, though. It's interesting. Um, Well, I'll read. um, uh, Let's put it this way. You'll find out in the poem that this comes from a photograph that was taken on film. Do you remember film? You're from Rochester. Kind of, yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, it's a sore uh, subject being from Rochester, because that's what ruined Rochester. Right. (laughs) That and and Xerox. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but this was one that then I post-processed on some version of Photoshop in 1999. Mm. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Pre-digital. So I'll, I'll uh, this is what I thought of when I thought of shadows. Wherein a shadow becomes home. We woke to our shadows cast on the slick rock as if we'd become in that bright moment between sleep and eating Anasazi petroglyphs drawn so long ago that the word for rock and the word for world were one, and the line between paint and stone glowed so that a shadow was thrown on the seer, a shadow that even the sun could note. And we posed and preened, and I snapped a picture with one of those old cameras that still used film, so we wouldn't know until we got back home after 10 more days with our Pat with packs on our backs, filtering water from stagnant pools, slapping black thighs from our sweaty necks, us quenching some simulium thirst for blood, us longing for running water, which we heard before we saw, a small falling into a clear pool, an ah, so profound that I knew once our photo prints came back from the lab, We'd see what we'd become, what we'd never be again. Stone and shadow, blood and thirst and bone. There in our house, which would not again feel like home. Oh, wow. Great poem and great ending, too. Where in a shadow becomes home. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand how you ask if we're going to read poems from this week and then you bust out with that. Like everybody expects like kind of a weak poem. And you're going to say that. That was brilliant. I'm glad that I made a hard ruling on that. Yeah. Good job, Katie. <laughs> All right. Assertiveness is exactly what it is. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks, Dick. Always Thank a pleasure. You. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was Dick Westheimer with Where in a Shadow Becomes Home. Let's go to Paul Mitchell Bernstein. Hey, Paul. Are you there? Hey, Paul. Hey guys! Yeah, um, good to see you. Or still picture anyway. How you doing? Yeah, I'm. I'm going to appear off like camera. magic. Okay. Yeah. Like magic. It's a nice picture though. It's a cool picture. It is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd ask you guys how you are, but you've already said it a whole bunch of times, so I won't. It's been an inspiring night. Uh, yeah, I liked it. I wanted to tell a story about Bob Dylan. Uh-huh. Who, yeah, uh, I saw that note that he said, don't meet your idols. Yeah, he's a real so. asshole. Like, I I, uh, I knew it um, when I saw that movie, Don't Look Back. I was like, oh, he seems like kind of an asshole. And then I met him. He was really an asshole. I actually, I wrote a 
going about it called Bob Dylan is a punk ass bitch. <laughs> um, it was years ago. That was back in like '92 or something like that. But um, yeah, and then okay, so this is something that I wrote um, for this prompt. It's not last week. I read something that um, I had been sitting in my files for a decade or so that I never finished, and the prompt sort of inspired me to finish it. Ah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but this is new. I wrote like three versions of it. Maybe I'll post the other two on the Facebook group. I'll join it. And, uh, um, yeah, so I went deep with the shadows. There's a lot of representations of shadows here, literal shadows, ghosts, um, sort of halving of, uh, halving, halving, halving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just things not being, uh, all that they used to be. Uh, shadow of oneself so i tried to use shadows in a bunch of ways it's a sonnet um yeah i wrote the three versions two of them are sonnets one of them's not anyway let's hear yeah i always love a sonnet yeah that's good i seem to i think this is maybe i don't know i got my sonnets are starting to uh you know i never wrote in form just until like a couple years ago and i'm starting to get a pretty decent collection of sonnets um and this one I think is pretty tr- pretty uh, traditional. It's not an American sonnet. Anyway, stop waffling in consideration for the three people left. This is <laughs> called Shadow Long. Oh, by the way, do you guys, you know that podcast, Your Mom's House? You know that? You know that no, I don't. Oh, Tom Segura. You guys are like Tom Segura. You kind of look like Tom Segura, and you kind of look like his wife, Christina oh, P. Oh, yeah? Well, really? There you go. Okay. Right. Right. Hope they look attractive. <laughs> Oh, they are. Find out later. They're very, they're very uh, they have like a hot, you know, they're very personable and charming. You guys are way nicer than they are. They're super mean. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hear this sonnet. Okay. Okay. It's called Shadow Long. Her shadow is long, climbing into our bed, deep into my head after days wasted, unwashed and lurking away from windows. Far from the ghosts of the living, I am dead. Clocking in wide arcs around this, our room, the shadows grow longer in November. Around and around, I remember now how we danced across the light of the moon. The moon over Yuma, Beaumont, and Butte stretched us out long across the highway. Around and around, we were never heavy but I was a fool and grew older than you. You who went younger to dance far away, who left me long in shadow far away. Ah, that was great. I just love Asana. Thanks yeah, so much for sharing that. That's great, Paul. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. Thank you, guys. Right, so it was uh, Shadow Long by Paul Mitchell Bernstein. Thanks for sharing that, Paul. All right, and just for the record, um, you know, it's three people on the Zoom, but there are still... 30 people watching on YouTube alone. Hello so. to the 30 people still <laughs> hanging out with us on YouTube. You're Thank awesome. You. Exactly. And on Facebook, there's more. There's people Yay. everywhere. Hello, Enjoy. People. I don't even look at Twitter but or X, but there's people there too. Anyway. And uh, last but not least, I believe... Or, oh, there she is. Julian Matthews. Hey, Julian. How are you doing today? Hi. Um, this is called... Uh shadow excellent yeah do you have it up yep i do go ahead whenever you're ready is there anything you want to say about it before you read 
Um, uh, no. All right. Well, let's hear. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I wonder where shadows go when people die. Do they ascend like souls to heaven and wait their turn to be sent down again? To loyally follow a new owner around like a lolling puppy? A life of service without so much as a petting or a bone. Growing by day, crouching under the cover of feet at midday. Shedding its thin cloak by late afternoon and just retiring until the next day. Unless the owner is nocturnal. Aroused under street lights, frequent slow lit bars, and it makes a walk-on guest appearance on tenement walls, grungy alleyways, bouncing across the room like a bendy acrobat cast by a bedside lamp, just in time to steal the show. Shadows, after all, have their own allure, their aesthetic so cinematic, until the last candle on the altar is put out. And they descend into the abyss, that starless realm where all good shadows eventually go to take their bow. Oh, that was excellent. I love the, the internal slant rhymes going on throughout yeah. there with shadow. That's wonderful. Beautiful. Thanks. And you're the Thank only you. person to match your background to the poem also, which made it an even more dramatic reading. For sure. Yeah. Thanks as always, Julian. That's great. That was Julian Matthews with Shadow. And that is going to wrap it up. Everybody, thanks for uh, sticking around for the wonderful prompt lines. Uh, little <laughs> glitches in the beginning, but we got it to work in the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's wonderful. So uh, what are we going to do next week for next week's prompt? Next week's prompt, we're going to need to pull up because yeah, we're not going to be able to. We got it. We got it. Here we got it. Oh, we have it here. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I'm supposed right to play here. it cool. I got to learn how to play it cool. You have to play it cool. Play it cool. So this was up the whole time. <laughs> Anyway, so next week we are going to write a sonnet with the title The End of Blank is Not Blank. After Jamaica Baldwin's American Sonnet, The End of Sorrow is Not Happiness, which is my personal favorite poem yeah. from having read her book. So yeah. I like the poem. I like the center too. I try to throw everybody off a little bit. I know, you were misleading. They thought you were going to have Because people keep guessing yeah. during the show, and now you're not going to be able to guess because you yeah. don't know if I'm going to be throwing no you clue. off. No clue. Although time. I did comment in the chat that I this, I love this poem, so yeah. maybe I was like hinting at well, it. Yeah. I think this will be a really fun prompt. I'm excited to, to write this one and trying to go in a different direction of being a little bit more concrete than the open-ended shadow poem. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I, I love that title. I love that, that, that yeah, American sonnet too. too. Yeah, Yep. Excellent. Well, that is the prompt for next week. And here is the Saiku. Let's do this really quickly. The Saiku for this week is right here. It's based on this story, which I found uh, from HHMI, uh, 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 Genalia Research Campus. I don't know. This was an article that I just jumped to. But it's really interesting. So um, here we go. Um, Rats have an imagination, new research suggests. I love that there are people studying this. <laughs> they are. <laughs> and so what they did is they hooked a rat up basically to a kind of like MRI that can see at the, uh, the neuron level. They recorded it like going through this virtual reality maze <laughs> and a little ball. So when it moved around in this like stadium that it was Aww. like doing stuff in, it could record where it was going. And then they um, see if they could um, if those if they could generate just by seeing the virtual reality three D uh -huh. without any kind of movement um, if they could have the rat imagine and then they let the rat guide 
the ball with only their mind. Oh. So they proved that rats have imagination. Wow. Which is amazing. I mean, like, we think that, like, we're so amazing because we have imagination. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, um... The rats sound smarter than me, the, frankly. The rats are, too. And, of course, <laughs> this kind of research um, has great implications for what you can do for, like, prosthetic limbs and things. Right. Because if we can control things, you know, artificially with our brains hooked up to a machine, that's really amazing for a yeah. lot of people. So really wow. cool research on two levels, both on the... Uh, practical side and just knowing although i don't know if i want to know that the that that mice have they can they can daydream and think and like picture like the yeah. same way you would like oh i'm gonna pick up that cup yeah and imagine it they can imagine like oh i'm gonna go like kick that little ball for wow. food they can That's actually wild. do that and we can see that with the brains so anyway wow. that is a really interesting little research study i came across and this is the little uh psyche based on it a dog a horse a rat and you imagine that <laughs> A monohue. A little monohue, little little Lear reference there too yeah, as well. Nice. So anyway, that is the uh, Saiku for this week. And that is the show for this week. Thanks to, always to Katie Dozier, for our prompt poems editor, for joining Thank us. Thank you to you for making an awesome show for us. Yeah, and lending us your house once again. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, and uh, next week's guest on the Rattlecast is going to be... Uh, Prosser Sereno. So this is a she's a poet that I we published a whole bunch of times, and they're always really good poems. Um, I've never actually read any of her books, um, so I'm really excited to read Starfall and share that next week. Starfall in the Temple is her next one, but her poems in Rattle. Like go back and type in Prosser Sereno in Rattle. She's got a poem in the current issue, of course, too. And they're just all varied and really interesting and great. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. That's Rattlecast 219. The prompt once again to write a sonnet with the title "The End of Blank Is Not Blank." And someone's probably going to take me literally and actually have blank. I'm looking forward to that poem. That's a good one. (laughs) That is the show. Thanks, everybody. As always, it's been a pleasure. Uh, Hope you have a great rest of your week. I'll talk to you later. Thank you.